0: What's happening everybody, Pedro here and welcome to another episode of Living It Fresh. Today's guest is a well-known guest all around the social sporting community. They run netball, futsal, which is indoor soccer. They got volleyball and basketball and he is one of the founders of a business called SportUp. Today's episode, you'll learn a little bit about the company, you'll learn a little bit about his personal life and how he loves scuba diving, and then you'll get to see about the travels that we experience along the journey. So without further much to do, today's guest is Paul Bass. Thanks for doing this. That's all right. Me. <laughs> uh, for starters, like basically just give a brief introduction, You know who you are, what you do. Okay. Um, so my name's is Paul. Um, I,
1: I run a social sports club on the Sunshine Coast called Sport Up Sunshine Coast.
0: Um, just here with Pedro to um, have a chat and um, yeah, see what's going to happen. So pretty much with Sport Up, like who started that? Um, so my brother, um, started
1: SportUp uh, about seven or maybe eight years ago now. Yeah. Um, he started out of Brisbane. Um, and then he ran that for about three and a half years and he kind of touched base with me a few times about the company and how it was running. And we sort of talked Jumped and work, worked that out together. But I was living away in Far North Queensland at the time. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved back to the Sunshine Coast, um, we spoke about it and he said, do you want to set up your own one? And um, so then I started Sport Up Sunshine Coast, which is essentially the the exact same business that they have in Brisbane, but it's also completely separate. Um, And yeah, it started about four, four and a half years ago. What
0: what inspired him? I mean, you may not or not know this, but like, how did he even come up with this idea? Yeah, so um, he was was traveling around Australia and he
1: uh, wanted to play soccer at a club just for fun. Yeah. as he traveled around. So he was only in places for like two or three months at a time Yeah, Um, and he found that everywhere he went he had to sign up for six months or nine months to play soccer and it was ultra competitive, 11 a side, outdoor, couldn't find anything that really fitted that, just kind of come and play as many games as you can and then leave sort of thing. Right. Um, So that's how he started the business. It was originally pay when you play. So you, you know, 10 people rock up, you mix up the teams, you play a game of basketball, everyone leaves. And that's how it was. And then it's gradually grown into the 12 week uh, season that we play now.
0: And how difficult was it for him to start the whole process? Um, fairly difficult. Yeah. I figured so. Yeah. It's cause it was,
1: uh, it wasn't like, this is our business model. Let's go. Yeah. it was okay. How are we going to do this? How does this work? How many people can we get in? Um, who's going to really benefit from this and yeah. who wants to pay that money to play right. um, and what he found was that he would get plenty of people in to do the pay when you play but they would not be as committed to come every week so yeah. they're like ah oh, i can't i can't be bothered this week or i'm too busy they just don't show up because they hadn't paid for it already yeah um so then once they started doing the 12-week seasons they found that everyone was a lot more committed people had a lot more fun and the other teams really enjoyed playing against other teams that were committed. So yeah, that's when it really started to grow. Okay. Um, and yeah, that was probably a year and a half into when he first started. Oh wow. So it took a long time to get to that point where we, before we realized,
0: okay, yeah, this is better. Did he ever in that year and a half, did he ever come across that mind frame of like, I think this is a bust or was it one of those things where you just kind of keep grinding? I think he always knew it was going to work right he
1: just didn't know how to make it work Do you know yeah. like he was he often would say i don't understand why people aren't coming i, I don't know why i'm not i don't can't believe i'm not super busy Do you know because right, like? right. he knew people wanted to play sport for fun yeah um but he didn't understand why people weren't knocking down the door to come and play you know so yeah um and i think part of that was advertising part of it was the structure of the business in the early stages and stuff yeah um he just to his credit plugged through it and just kept going and going and you know wasn't making any money at that time so it was like not struggling but like not progressing (laughs) he, he wasn't making any money um, so yeah, it would have been really difficult for him in that, in that early stages. And I remember him ringing me up and saying, can I borrow $1,000 to pay for this thing and I'll pay you back as soon as I can. So <laughs> the thing happened a couple of times and he always paid me back and yeah. I was just happy to support him because he was doing something he wanted to
2: do.
0: And... Do you feel like him constantly asking for money almost kind of got your attention to be like, I think this could be something big for you to join as well? Or were you always in the midst of kind of interest? Um, I was
1: I was always um, more in the background. Like I was working away, um, and I didn't have much to do with it. But I also had a job where I had money saved, and um, I kind of had that money sitting there. So if he needed to borrow money, he could. Yeah. Um, and then I knew that he would always pay it back eventually. So mm-hmm. it wasn't too much of an issue. You know, I was just helping yeah. him out. Um, I. It didn't really. I didn't really get involved in Sport Up fully until I really moved to the Sunshine Coast and then I could see what it was and how he ran it and all that sort of stuff. Right. Then I was really interested in it. Okay. And then we got started from
0: there. With the name Sport Up, was that like the original name or was there a prior name and you guys evolved to Sport Up? Um, Sport Up was was
1: a very early name that we used. Yeah. Um, Prior to Sport Up, Sam had another um, company Um, called Play Beautiful Football, which was more of like an academy for kids. So it was like a school camps kind of thing where he would teach them how to play football, you know, in the beautiful style. Do you know, like it was social, fun, skillful. Yeah. That was the idea behind it.
0: Like trying to remove the aggressiveness from the game and really learn the game and have fun with it. Yeah, that's it. Like learn how to play properly well without having to foul or use strength or
1: anything. Do you know, like that's, that's what for boys, that's that's the beautiful game yeah um and he did that for for a number of years in the early days of sport up and then gradually phased that out and moved into the adults and, yeah and sport up.
0: so when sport Ups originally started was it solely around football um yes yeah it and it was just that one sport right like when it first
1: first started yeah so yes it, it, it was yeah so both my brother and i are, are from soccer backgrounds like that's yeah. what we love and have always played so yeah. that, that was how we started um, so for us on the Sunshine Coast we started in 2018 with one private soccer team like a group of friends that put their own team in yeah. and three teams of individuals so there was like seven players on each team um, no one knew each other so there was like Twenty-one random people, and then <laughs> one <joining> team <laughs> and then we just made four teams. Oh, okay. Started a league. Yeah. Played for twelve weeks, and by the end of it, you know, you had four teams. So it was like we played everybody like four times. Yeah. Um, and everyone knew everyone, and it was fun. Everyone enjoyed it. They all came back the next season, and yeah. then we added in another team and another team of individuals, and then eventually we had ten teams, and we were like, oh, okay, yeah, we're going. But, we're going but going we places. we started with four, and and it was very different back then like it was um it was fun but also it was like really small so like everyone knew everyone so it was like really tame you know? yeah like it was like that was when it was um i would say the most social because you played the same team every time over and everyone over. knows the actual names and stuff yeah, like that literally like their names their pets what they do <laughs> yeah. like, everyone you know and, and that was awesome and and to be honest, like I reckon fifty or sixty percent of those people that played that first season four years ago still play now. Oh yeah. And that's like four seasons a year for four years, so they played sixteen seasons with SportUp, and they're still going and they're still loving it, and, and that's really cool to see for me because it's it's literally changing people's lives. Like, Big time. Get to meet new people and um, yeah yeah a lot of people that I talk to are like I didn't know anyone on the coast, and then I joined SportUp, and now I've got like whole bunch of friends a whole group of really good friends that i go and do loads of different things with so yeah
0: that's really cool to hear um, the the original people that started you i mean you can obviously see their faces and their names and all that kind of stuff how often like let's say in a year span maybe even the five year span do you read like see them or talk to them or anything like that or is it just one of those things that they're they're down on the coast you're up in the coast you guys don't really talk as much or how does um, that work with your OGs? Yeah, well, the original, those original four
1: teams, I was saying, like, 50% of them are still playing now, mm-hmm. so I see them every week, because they're, they're Oh, they're on, up here now. They I and this is just on the Sunshine Coast, side, you, when the Sunshine you. Coast started. Okay. Um, yeah, so so they're all still playing now, and, and the ones that aren't playing, mostly it's like, you know, they moved away two years later, or yeah. they got a job in Brisbane, or whatever, so yeah. I still see them around, and um, but yeah, they're just not.
0: And then what was the
1: next sport that got added on? Um, netball would have been the second sport. Okay. So, yeah, we got, um, and now I'm just talking for Sunshine Coast now. Because yes. I don't know, um, the specifics oh, was... of Brisbane, uh, in the early days. So, yeah, we added netball next, um, and netball kind of took off on the coast. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, social netball on the coast. Yeah. And, yeah, we, we got some really good teams in early and, um, I think the first season we had like eight teams. So, literally, we advertised it and then got a whole heap
0: of teams in. Yeah. Um, And
1: now we play four nights a week
0: of netball with. Yeah, uh, I noticed that too. I see it all the time. I'm like, man, how do they play so many netball games? It's like, because you guys have a lot of teams. Yeah, yeah. We've got multiple courts play four nights a week. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it's awesome. It's it's going really well. Did netball take off faster than football did in terms of the growth not necessarily the beginning stage you know how like beginning you had four netball beginning you had eight like the from that beginning point onwards did netball really kind of like take off higher than football yeah yeah definitely so netball um i'm not 100
1: sure why netball is as uh, is as popular as it is um but it seems to just be like word of mouth you can just like people just talk and then right. they're like this is fun People come and join and then when one team's having a good time, they tell their friends and then their friends make a team and then enter a team and then two of those people talk to their friends and then they make a team and enter a team and before you know it, you're full and and we're like, oh, okay, we have to start a new night. And then it's like, okay, now we've got two divisions and we've obviously got teams that are better than others. Yeah. Let's make another night for the intermediate and another night for social and split it. Um, and so it kept evolving like that yeah. until we were running Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday.
0: And and did you ever come across like an issue in terms of creating the intermediate and creating the social that like the days wouldn't work, and you had to readjust the days, or was it one of those like you just set it one time and you just if it worked for them, they, it worked. Yeah, it it is tricky doing that
1: because uh, once you set a day certain teams or players on certain teams can't make that day. Yeah. And then if one player can't make it, the whole team kind of pulls out. That's what I was thinking. Um, so that is uh, is something that that was of concern, let's say. Um, but what we would do is just put out a uh, survey to the teams and say, okay, do you want to play an in intermediate or social? What's your preferred night? And then once we got all that information, we could then say, okay, Thursday is the preferred night for ladies intermediate. Yeah. And Tuesday is the preferred night for ladies social. and you know, you lose a couple of teams, but at least you can split it off. And then once it's split and it's set, then the, when the new teams come in, they're like, okay, we want to play ladies intermediate. And they look on the schedule and they say, okay, well, Thursday's the night. Yeah. And then they go, okay, who can do Thursday? Let's make that work. Yeah. And, and I don't change it every season, you know, it stays the same then.
0: Yeah. Um, so people can either play on Thursday or they can't. Yeah, because it's one of those things where it's like, if you keep catering to teams then you're just going to screw yourself up in yeah. the long run. I yeah. can kind of see that happening. Yeah, the more you change it, the more teams
1: drop off, basically. Yeah. Um, so you need to just sort of set it and say, yeah, that's that's what we're doing. Um, and some people love it and some people can't. Make yeah, it. Um, most of the time,
0: people are pretty good. They kind of work, work their schedules around if they really want to play. So. Yeah. So then so you had you started off with soccer, football, you, then you went to volleyball. I mean, uh, uh, netball. T- netball. And then the other two you have is basketball and volleyball. Do you have another one? No, just basketball and volleyball, yeah. Oh, okay. And out of out of those two, which one was your next one? Uh, basketball was next. Is it just because you were kind of in the netball scene and it just kind of flowed or? Yeah, well, um, I, I decided to add
1: basketball, but I've never played basketball before in my life, in my up- upbringing. Um, we just played soccer. Um, when I was at school in England, netball was a girls' sport. So I never played netball, though yeah. I was sort of interested in it. And basketball was just something that I never, it was never offered to me at school. Yeah. Um, so I'd never played it before, but again, I was sort of interested in it. Um, and looking at Brisbane SportUp, they had probably the, the majority of their teams are basketball teams across oh, okay. the board. So I was like, okay, there's obviously like a demand for it. Let's just give it a try. Yeah. Um, so we set up like a come and try night. had. 28 or 30 people come down, we did that oh, wow. for a few weeks, um, and then all of those people were like, yeah, we're keen to play, so then they made teams, teams. and individuals, you know, like we put together a few teams, Yeah. started again with four teams, um, got that up and running, and, and that was good, we, we played on, on Thursdays at that time, Yeah. Um, and then once we filled the Thursday league up, a few of the teams were like, oh, we want to play multiple nights, So then we started Tuesday league, um, and then we're playing Tuesday and Thursday, and now both of those two leagues are fully booked. Yeah. um, With sort of 10, 11 teams um in each comp so that that grew it did take a little while for basketball to get going and i think it's because there is a lot of basketball on the coast like right you know you've got the uni comp you've got clippers and um, you've got calandra so there's, there's plenty of options for people but yeah
0: options are always good you know like oh helps, no doubt inconvenience too yeah. even though uni's down there some people are like oh uni's actually pretty intimidating i'd rather just go away from that i, mean, I feel like there is more people that would rather prefer to get away from the big hype and stuff like that, and, and get into a more social aspect. So then you went into volleyball. Did volleyball come because you had an open court or something like that? No, so volleyball, um, I've, I've played
1: a bit of beach volleyball before and like really enjoyed it, yeah. um, but never really thought it was something that other people would want to play, especially indoor, like yeah. I know there's beach volleyball around on the coast. Um, but after talking to um, the school at Matthew Flinders where, where we play, Um, They were saying there's that school students play up until sort of 17 And then they leave school and they've been playing volleyball from 10 to 17 and then they leave school And then there's no indoor volleyball on the coast. So at that point I was like, oh, maybe there is like an opening So again, we did like a come and try night Had about 20 people come down and we're like, okay, this is fun. Let's let's start this up. Yeah Um, and the good thing for us with volleyball is you can play multiple courts Right, or one. So basketball or netball, you can play one court, two teams. Volleyball, I can play, you know, four teams at once or maybe even six teams, but four teams at once at the moment, which means you can get through a lot more teams and have more in. So at the moment, we've got like 14 or 15 volleyball teams. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, so it's like awesome. And we still got space, you know, we finish at 8.15. Yeah,
2: because
0: I remember being on the basketball side and you guys are done. I'm like, oh... Volleyball must not be popping. It must not be that good. And then 14 teams like, whoa, where are the other 14? And then i like, yeah, doing the math in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, well, four at a time. It's only about four games or five games. And- yeah, yeah. And we've got a spare court at the end of the night. So while one team or two teams are playing,
1: there's an empty court. Yeah, so we just run a scratch match over there, and anyone that wants to stick around, we just chuck them all together just and play for fun. And play for fun, and, and we've got like a social division and an intermediate division. Yeah. Um, so it's a really good time for the social or beginner players to mix in with the intermediate ones, and yeah. you know, like try and stop the big spikes or try and do a harder serve or whatever. Like it's a, it's normally a, a bit of fun at the end, and then yeah. they get to meet some other people and right. they can join a team or make another team
2: or, or whatever they want
0: to do do you i mean i assume that you see this a lot when you see someone especially when they're new and they're coming up to you and they're like you know hey Paulo, this is my first time ever I, like i just found this out from some random blah 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 and you see them and in the long run they're like really connecting with somebody and they become like almost a big time name like do you get like that satisfaction of like i'm not not satisfaction but like that like like that blessed feeling of like sweet, like I, I contributed to this person being, you know, not necessarily in a negative way, but like a nobody to, you know, now they got a lot of friends and all that kind of stuff. Like the things like that. Is that more enjoyable than seeing your kind of business grow? Yeah, definitely.
1: Like um, one of my favorite things uh, that I've noticed, like for like a fulfilment point of view, mm-hmm. is um, is going into Coles or Woolworths and seeing someone who joined SportUp like a few weeks before, as an individual, just moved to the coast, didn't know anyone, walking through Coles with one of their teammates from soccer or volleyball. Oh yeah, yeah. And like buying like barbecue food or something, and then knowing that they're going to like hang out with this person that they just met three weeks ago, and right? They met through SportUp, there's yep. no way they would have met them otherwise, like. It's just really nice to be like, okay, we can help people make friends in a place where the Sunshine Coast is actually fairly difficult to make friends, to meet people. Um, And and even for me, like I lived on the coast for a year before I started Spoon Up. Yeah. I only knew the three people I worked with um, after a year. And like I tried, you know, I went to meetups, I... went on hikes with groups like i did loads of different things and i just couldn't connect with anybody everyone
0: seems real sheltered
1: yeah like they're either in a group of friends and you can't sort of infiltrate the group or, yeah. or they don't know anyone and they're like shy and yeah it's just hard to like get anything going sort of right thing. um yeah so and then you know starting sport up and like i know Like hundreds of people now, and like right, almost too many. (laughs) Um, But but sort of over the years, I've I've found this group of people that I fit in really well with, and I'm really happy with. And and we've been hanging out for like three, four years now, and that that's great for me. But it's also great that other people still get that um, feeling and that that enjoyment. Yeah. Without me, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. I used to be the central point. Of all the groups, yeah. and now the business is is too big for that. That other people become that central point, and yeah. it's normally someone from each team. Yeah. Um. So that you know, if you if you get on a, a team which is which suits you, mm-hmm. then you can often make some really good friends. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you never know who you're going to get in an individual team. Like yeah. some are good, some are not so good. But on the general scheme of things, it's normally pretty
0: good. Yeah. Do you ever come across somebody, and I, and I find this a lot for myself, that really knows you? Hey, Paul, how's it going? Remember that last time I went by Paul? And you have no idea who they are. Uh, <laughs> and this is not in a mean way. This is because there's so many people yeah. coming up and talking to you. Like, do you get that frequently? Like, within like, let's say once a month or something like that? Yeah, oh, probably not that frequently. Um, but definitely there's been times
1: where you're like, someone says hello direct you by name every week and at a certain point it gets to the point where you just can't ask what their name is and you're just like hey buddy like (laughs) um that that definitely happens because you know we've we've got literally thousands of people that play every week and And the
0: same names of the same people too yeah you just can't know everybody yeah Um,
1: but the first like two two and a half years that i ran sport up i put in a real real effort to know every single person's name yeah and and probably for the first two years i did know almost every single person and there was probably five or six hundred people and and i could do everyone that's pretty good Uh, and like i'm bad with names so it was like a concerted effort to make sure how did you
0: how did you learn that like did you put images in your head or something
1: Um, like that like i think i i just would take the time, like I'm at games every night. So yeah. before we started doing multiple sports on multiple nights, I was there sitting, watching let's say basketball for that whole evening. And I would talk to all the teams, I would know all the team captains and then I would talk to all the players and just by doing that repetition, I would get to know everybody. Gotcha. And when you like really think, okay, I need to remember, I'd say mm-hmm. like, oh, hey Pedro, how are you going? And then I just repeat your name a few times as I'm talking to you. And, right. and that would kind of lock it in. Yeah. Um, and some people were easier than others, but I was also lucky because I have the team list on my phone. So, <laughs> so you're just kind of like glancing at it. <laughs> yeah, and then I can do like process of elimination like, hey, well, that's Pedro, that's Dave, that's Tom, <laughs> yeah. uh, that must be Sophie. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then I can go and talk to them and confidently say their name and, and that actually helps you learn the name as well. Yeah. Like, it's kind of a cheat sheet it also helps. Um, but yeah, once like we've got 1500 players playing every week now it's, yeah. it's just physically not possible to know everyone. Right. And like last season, for example, we had 30 new teams join. And, like, yeah. You know, How crazy 10, is that? Yeah, exactly. Like 10 people on each team.
0: There's no way you can memorize 300 names in a short <laughs> yeah. of time and not forget someone. Um, and then when you get into a rhythm, one team leaves, a new one comes in, you're like, Oh God. Yeah. And they like coincidentally have the same team name and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's so confusing.
2: <laughs>
1: but um but yeah, no, I, I still I still try to remember people's names. Mm-hmm. Um and especially team captains, like because obviously I'm talking to them a lot more over email and phone calls and stuff. Yeah. So that certainly helps. Um
0: yeah. So when
1: you first started, you weren't at Flinders, right? No, no. So we um we originally started playing at um Caloundra Christian College down in in Caloundra but their courts were they were outdoor courts undercover and they were extremely grippy Um, and if you fell over it was like (laughs) grey's knees like torn shirts it it was not ideal so we only played there for one night and then we were super lucky because just down the road at Pelican Waters there was a brand new sports center down there or sports hall just one court Um, and they'd literally just finished building it that week. And so I just randomly called them up and they said, yeah, we've just finished building one, come on down. Um, So we hired that for uh, probably about a year, about four seasons Okay. um, and played. Uh, We started with soccer there then netball and then basketball. Yeah. And then then we um, got a couple of nights at, at Matthew Flinders. Yeah. And Budrum's just such a better venue for the majority of people on the coast. Right. Um, so kind when, of more central. Yeah, like Pelican Waters is a long way south for the Sunshine Coast. So pretty much everyone is driving south to get there. There's yeah. no one driving north to get there. Yeah. Um, whereas Budrum's more or less in the middle. Okay. Um, and so once we moved to Budrum and Matthew Flinders, we found that... The, we were getting a lot more teams coming in, everything started multiplying, and everyone was a lot happier. Do you know, like we had players driving down from Noosa to Pelican Waters oh, to wow. play soccer. And so like, that
0: little duration of like cutting, that's pretty much an, almost in half. Yeah, like uh, an hour's drive to, to 25, 30 minutes. So
1: it's, um, yeah, a fairly big difference for them. And it definitely yeah. helped them
0: stay and keep playing. because you just can't keep doing that commute after you finish work and then come down. And sometimes even if you have like a late game that's like, you know, eight o'clock and then again ends at nine and then you have to drive back up to Noosa and get there at ten and whatever it goes on beyond that, Matt. Um, How did you guys come across Splendors? I literally called every single
1: sports venue, school, outdoor venue on the coast for months until... Someone said, "Yeah, we could probably fit you in this night." Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, I got we got one night at Matthew Flinders, um, and then we had a. I had a really good relationship with the manager at that time. She's mm-hmm. since left, and another manager's come in, but um, she was like trying to help us out as much as possible because she oh, liked what we were doing. Do you know, like yeah. we were doing community sport, and she was really for that, so mm-hmm. she helped us with that. Um, and then as we grew. I would be like, oh, is there any chance of us getting another night, um, any night of the week? And, and Flinders were fairly busy at that time, they booked out to other sports, other clubs, mm-hmm. they had a night designated just for cleaning, um, and just gradually over the time as they got to know me in the club, they, they sort of gave us more and more
0: nights, so, oh, that's good. And, and yeah, now we've got uh, four nights a week there, which is great. So yeah, what, Monday to Thursday? Monday to Thursday. Yeah. Did you ever have any like desired thoughts of having a Friday or a weekend? Or was it one of those things was like, you also need your personal time as well? Yeah, I mean, I love my weekends and having my weekends off, but that's not to say
1: that it's not something that we would do. Um, We hopefully down the track, um would like to do like uh, tournaments on oh weekend. that'd be cool and um, so we could just say okay we'll book out flinders on saturday and we'll have like a, a basketball tournament a netball tournament and a soccer tournament it's just like a round robin yeah
0: like a one one and done kind of thing yeah like, or something
1: wrong that way you know we say basketball we can set up both basketball courts and we can have let's say 10 teams in the comp a round robin where everyone plays everyone twice and it's just like a 20 minute game or 10 halves or something yeah and then just smash through as many games as we can and um and just you know something just for fun on the weekends like yeah i can see a lot of people doing that just because there's that competition vibe yeah and that's the things like because sport up is the idea for sport up is that it's social there's no finals um, you just come and play and, and hopefully have fun yeah um to then do a sort of mini tournament on the weekend for those people that want to play a bit more competitively and really like you know fight to win a game whatever then that's something that they can do
0: yeah um still wanting it to be social i was just thinking that too <laughs> i was like man you know sometimes if you do something like that you're gonna have to get some good refs <laughs> yeah that, that that is the hard thing like you you need really good refs to to keep everything social and, and under control
2: yeah um
0: Yeah, so that's it but yeah it's definitely something that we're looking into for doing in the future speaking of refs was it a challenge when you first started to get refs like when you first started when you're just if your your football team's going on right now slowly incorporating that ball like was finding refs a challenge or was it one of those things where you had a good source no yeah it's always always a challenge finding refs um for soccer um I started
1: off refing the games. Um, I'd never really ref before, so it was a big, big learning
0: curve for me. Everything is a play on, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I learned pretty quickly um, with soccer. Like, if you don't call things, then it can escalate quickly. So you yeah. just you just get into it and just call everything basically. Um, and just have fun with the players. Like, if you know the players, it's a lot easier as a ref to be able to control the games, because they're like, okay, it's, it's Paul, he's refing. He got something wrong, but, you know, it's yeah. all right. So yeah. it's like, it was a lot easier that way. Um, but yeah, I've been really fortunate with refs. Um, we've had some really good refs over the years, and, yeah. and people that really stick around and help us out, um, and also have a good time, do you know? Like yeah. It goes both ways in that reffing is a hard job and no one really wants to do it. Yeah. But those people that do do it,
0: um, you know, have enjoyed doing it for the majority right. um, of times. When you were when you were reffing, did you ever come across... I'm assuming you did. But did you ever come across a game where it's pretty close, it's super competitive, and, like, you, let's say you miss a call and, like, you really don't know that person very well to be like you know have that calm vibe and they just like go off at you like you know come on paul like call something or Mm -hmm. someone on that line and it almost changes the way you ref because now you're like oh god like i think i'm missing everything like now i gotta overly call things do you ever get those vibes back when you were kind of learning the process of of the refing? um
1: not really to be honest because in those very early days it was the, the soccer especially like it was such a group of people that knew each other so well that yeah. even the players knew each other so there wasn't really any like up aggression tension. or tension that that really built up but i've definitely seen that in in like other comps like um even our other intermediate level comps when it is getting close and yeah. like one player feels like something should have been called and the referee either didn't see it or doesn't think that it was a foul and then they get frustrated. Yeah. Um, and, and like, even with new soccer refs, um, they'll have an experience like that and they're like, okay, I need to call more things. And like, they'll come and talk to me about it and be like, okay, I think I missed something. I'm gonna try and call everything from here on out sort of thing. So I've definitely seen what you're talking about yeah. um, with refs. And I think it's a, a good learning curve for people because then they're like, okay, I'm in control. If I don't do anything, then nothing's going to change. And, yeah. and, and hopefully it gives them the confidence to, to just go for it and
0: call it. Yeah, because I even find the littlest calls, because like some of the basketball games, if I'm refing it, you'll see the guy gets the ball or the girl gets the ball and they get bumped. And you think to yourself oh well just play on because you have the ball in your hand but it actually in their brain they're like how come you didn't call that yeah so like now you're not calling anything and it's like oh damn like i actually should have called that and so then then it it plays with my mind personally so that's what i was thinking myself maybe it might play with other people's mind but i guess it's one of those things that if you kind of know the game a little bit better and like kind of cater it to the people rather than like you knowing the game yeah. It kind of works out in different ways. Yeah, I get a, just an individual kind of thing.
1: But I know what you're talking about because like in that example, like the, the player holding the ball gets bumped. You're like, hey, okay, they've got the advantage, just play on. Yeah. Uh, but for them, they're like, that should have been called because they've done that 10 times. Yeah. And, then... and it's not getting called. But even mm-hmm. though you've seen it, you need to either call out and say, that's your advantage, play on or just stop the game and bring it back. And yeah. What I've learned over the years is the best thing to do is stop the game, bring it back, yeah. explain the rule to the player that made the foul. The player that got fouled is like, okay, they're watching, everything's sweet, I've got the ball we play on. Yeah. And even though it slows the game down and it's probably not the sort of thing that needs to be called every time. If you call it every time, it actually stops it from happening. Exactly. So, um, so, but it's not easy to do that. Like, it's easy to say that, but as a ref, it's really difficult yeah, to, no, to no. be that consistent and do it every time. Yeah. It's tricky.
0: Um, well, with all that aside, do you find that Flinders location will probably be like the heart and soul of it? Or do you see any kind of future kind of movements in terms of different locations or maybe add on locations? Yeah, it's uh, like it's definitely something that we've thought about. Um,
1: Brisbane Sport Up operates very differently to to how we do in that they have fourteen different locations around Brisbane. It's all so weird. Yeah. So <laughs> um, and like basically the reason they do that is because their courts have one court here, two courts there, one court oh. there. Um, whereas we're very lucky to have two, in two indoor courts and two outdoor courts, which means that we can run. At the capacity that we're running at yeah and um, and so yeah we, we're super fortunate about that but um, at the same time like if we ever did want to expand we would then have to go and look for another venue where we could then start up another one yeah in the in the early days we we originally thought let's set up a location in Noosa a location in Maroochid or Yeah. And a location in Caloundra and then that way I've covered the whole of the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. Um but just the way that it played out with getting Flinders having those extra courts. Um and and actually I'm really thankful for that because keeping it all in one place means that I can be at every game.
2: Yeah, right and I can can,
1: go. Yeah, exactly. I can walk to netball and then walk back to basketball and then walk to volleyball and like all in one location. Whereas if I had three courts, even if there was two courts each one, I can't be at Calandra and then suddenly go to Noosa yeah. to sort something out. Within to to a 20 it. minute range. <laughs> yeah, and, and then I have to rely on like either a manager or another, a referee to do prizes or photos or deal with issues. Like it makes it um, a bit more of a stretch. Yeah. Um, so keeping it at Flinders has, has made it a lot easier for me to run the company from yeah. like an administrative level, I suppose. Um, but it's not something that we're against. like
0: if we could find another good venue, we would, we would definitely look at expanding it and doing that at some point. When you started in the Sunshine Coast, were you doing it solo? Or were you working like as a team? Or like, how did you, how did you go against in terms of the admin aspect of things? Like, were you just running it by yourself? And just trying yeah, kind to of control yeah, it? Yeah, so I
1: was working full-time. Um, I used to lay bamboo floating hardwood floors. Okay. Um, so I was doing that full-time. Five days a week, and then running sport up. And at that time, we only had sport up once a week, playing soccer at Pelican Waters. Yeah. Um, and then throughout that year, I can't remember how many teams we had at the end of that year, but we had soccer and netball, and I think basketball was just starting. And so I kind of phased out working full time, and I was really fortunate that I could go five days a week, then four, then three, right, then and just two. five to zero. Yeah, yeah, and then eventually to zero. And and my boss was great. He supported me all the way through that and, and even came and played soccer. He entered a team. The <laughs> yeah, office, he's so. like, hey, man, let me get this <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, that was really good. And, and that allowed me to, as sportup got busier, I could gradually cut down on that work. And yeah. I still work casually for them
0: whenever they need me. Do you know, like, yeah. I can go and do things and... Um, they probably always want a helping hand too. Yeah, that's right. not like yeah. a thing that... It's like, oh, you know, we really don't need you today. It's just one of those things where, like, almost if you were, like, you guys need a hand? Like, of course. Come yeah, on yeah. down. They'd, we'll find they'd, some. They'd almost always take you on. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, they were great um,
1: to allow me to do that. And and now SportUp's at a point where I can pretty much just do SportUp full-time. Yeah. Um, and um, even, like, my partner, Cara, is working with us now. Yeah. Um, and she's helping out with a lot of that background admin stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and that just gives me more time to look towards the future of Sport up and what we're going to do and be like okay I don't have to deal with all this basic admin stuff I can push forwards and, and hopefully start these competitions or maybe some more social events or yeah. whatever it might be that I can then focus my time on
0: when, when Kara jumped on board how much of a relief was it? Um, it was
1: definitely a <laughs> um, especially uh, uh, there's a, a few times each season when it's really busy yeah. uh, and that's the last two weeks of the season, which is what we're just coming into now. And yeah. the first two weeks of the new season, because we run 12 weeks and then the next week we start the next season. Yeah. So that crossover period, it's like, okay, this team's leaving, this team wants to join. Do we have space here? Where can we fit them in? Yeah. Uh, and then like making sure deposits have been taken, making sure emails have been sent out so that everybody knows what's going on. It is really busy at that point. And for me to just be like, okay, Cara, can you do this? And know that it's being done properly and, and effectively, and I can then focus on something else. It effectively halved the workload. Yeah. Um, and that makes a massive difference from, I would work, you know, like 14, 15 hour days for like two weeks straight to get through everything. Yeah. Um, and now I can go back to just working eight Your hour normal days. normal <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that was great. Um, it's been a really good help. Um, but like I've always had people that have been willing to help out even before, um, started working for us. So I'd have people that would come and help take photos in the evenings or help do presentations and, um, those sorts of things. So yeah, Yeah. pretty good with
0: that. Yeah. Like how we were talking earlier about like seeing people grow, like with their lives, outside of Sporta, because of Sporta, That almost happened, well not almost, that actually did happen with myself. So I was working at a helicopter company and Alex was one of the guys who was playing SportUp. And when he came up, he was like, I was like, he's like, oh, well, you know, how's your day going? He's like, good, good, I'm going to play basketball later on. I'm like, basketball? Like you play basketball? Like you don't even look like a basketball player. <laughs> and so we had this conversation where I ended up going over there. Anyways, fast forwarding it, the whole cycle through going to play through sport up i actually ended up getting the job coaching the girls basketball team at matthew flinders yeah, yeah. and then it just slowly escalate from one to another and then uh getting meeting uh, networking outsources to pretty much the position that i am right now it was like you know backtracking looking at it's it like oh man that actually all started through the the social aspect of sport up not because you know you're good at this or you're good at that it's like finding the right location where everyone is open, you know what I mean? And that's kind of like the beauty of that kind of league that you guys started creating. So it's like one of those things where it's like, no, it's, it's a real thing. Like most people are like, you know, oh, Paul's just saying that because, you know, he has to say something like that. It's like, no, it's, it's a real thing. Like people do expand outside of there because now they feel like they're with everyone else on their life, you know, you're not with a whole bunch of professionals with a whole bunch of people yeah yeah and all those people work locally the normal shifts yeah like they've got families they're all stressing yeah
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah and yeah definitely and, and you know right. joining as an individual player onto a team you know there's ten say there's ten of you on the team mm-hmm. none of you have met each other none of you have played at sport up before so you're yeah. all coming in with such an open mind and so nervous yeah that like you know when I come out and say hey guys let's introduce everybody everyone's like oh, okay like everyone's on the same page as yeah me. It's not, and, I'm not just the only one that's new yeah and then when I leave and sort of leave those players to it they they start talking and, and instantly like you can see like friendships happening almost straight away yeah um, and it's just because those people put themselves out there to to do that and yeah that's the same as everyone else you know like they're,
0: they're just trying to meet people have fun and play a sport they love and yeah that's why it works yeah, and I think it's because that is that that bond of why you're there. You know what I mean, you're there because you like football. You're there because you like netball or basketball or whatnot. And I think that's like the easiest transition. So, no, good job. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I'm so, glad it's working. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So breaking outside of sport up, you know, and whatnot, kind of going back to yourself. So you weren't born and raised in Australia, were you? I was born in
1: Australia, okay. um, I was born in Brisbane, but I um, went, my mum's English, um, so we went back to England when I was little, okay. um, and I did all my schooling, all my uni in England, yeah. and then pretty much as soon as I was done with uni, I came straight back to Australia, because I had an Australian passport, I could travel and work without any dramas, and my mum had lived here for 15 years, and she always was saying... It's beautiful. Like the beaches are amazing, and um, the scuba diving's amazing. Like the country's amazing. Yeah. Like just go and travel. So that's what I did. And, um, so that
0: mean you have dual? Yeah, I've got English and Australian. Oh yeah, yeah I love so that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah same here. I got an American and and uh, Australian. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, so it's kind of like you commit a crime, you can just go back to England. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> they just sent me that. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, so um, I, yeah, definitely super lucky with that because like, I've got a lot of friends who spent a lot of money and a lot of time getting Australian citizenship. Right. And I just walked in my eye. here's my passport. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. Step aside, know. everybody.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Citizen coming through. Yeah. So whereabouts in, in uh, England were you at? Like in terms of like town-wise and things um, like that. So I, w- I was in a little tiny village outside of Brighton yeah um, which is just south
1: of london so right down on the coast on the south coast yeah it's a beautiful area you know like it's um it's all green farmland and Got um, you and very quiet but yeah yeah lovely and i was just i think by the time i finished my childhood and education and everything i was really ready to just go and explore the world like yeah. kind of set myself up through my childhood like i i learned to scuba dive very early did that all the way through and I knew from about the age of twelve that I wanted to be an underwater cameraman. That was that was the dream. That was what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so everything that I did from about age ten to twenty was let's become an underwater cameraman for National Geographic. Oh, that, nice. that was it. Um, and so that's what I worked towards. And then going to Australia, you've got the Great Barrier Reef, you've got these beautiful beaches, it's gonna be good diving there. So yeah. that's
0: what I did. I came here and did and started diving. Did you have to buy a certain camera for your, your underwater? Or was it just something that like, how, how does that work with, with underwater photography? Yeah. So um, you essentially, you've got your camera or your video camera
1: and then you buy a housing that goes around it. And the yeah. housing allows you to control the functions on the camera. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like a whole nother ball game doing underwater photography and video because it's so different. Anything out of water, mostly because all of your lights coming from directly above you, right? Um, Because like it's just pitch black below you, right? Like there's no light coming from there, so you have to light everything yourself. You have to utilize the sun where you can. Um, It's um, it's not easy. Um, it's, It's definitely a tricky thing.
0: When you when you did your photography, did you see something that scared you? Um, or oh, was everything kind of like you know oh, it was beautiful underwater all that kind of stuff you know because the average person that sees hears underwater <laughs> all they think about is did you see a ginormous shark that was about to, be ready to eat you <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean I
1: love the ocean um, and like I love all the animals in the ocean and sharks being one of those like, yeah i've had i've been very fortunate in that i've been to south africa and i've i've worked on the the boats the cage boats where they take people in the water in the cages to do it so i I worked with them for a while and it just eliminates your fear do you know like they're not just out there to just eat you like they're there in their habitat and like yes they they would attack you but that's because you're floating around in the habitat and you look like something they would eat yeah and they're not like okay there's a person I'm just going to go and eat that whole person. They normally just bite you and then go, oh God, that was crunchy. You don't want to eat that. Yeah, this is disgusting. And, <laughs> and the problem is people die because of the, the bite is so bad. But they're not actually just like, okay, chomp, 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 eat the whole yeah. thing. Um, but, you know, like one of my, let's say scariest moments where you, you, you fall back into that mindset of like sharks do attack people. Um, and there was a, a scalloped hammerhead um, that had swum over the reef and they've got huge dorsal fin like a massive dorsal fin It was sticking right out of the water and we saw it from the dive boat we were on and we uh, motored across and dropped off in front of it and we we're in this little tender going across the reef flats and it's like maybe uh, half a meter to a meter deep um, and I had a, a stills digital camera and a video camera in each of my hands all my dive gear on and the skipper was shouting at us saying can't go any further over the reef you have to go in now and i was so excited because there was a hammerhead coming that i was going to get footage of that i just dove in the water head first and when i went in i just hit both my hands on the coral and i just shredded my wrist just pouring with blood
0: oh no oh no (laughs) and i have a camera in
1: each hand and i'm kicking and the current is flying along and the current's going towards the shark who's swimming up current and i'm swimming like away from the shark pouring with blood like and you have that like mental thing like i'm bleeding is that gonna like make and then and i'm like telling myself like that's not how it works it's not just going to come after you because of that and then um kind of settled myself but at that point i was probably the most scared i've been in the water um and then yeah the shark came past
0: cruise so past. they actually
1: don't uh, it was it probably the most majestic thing i've ever seen is it's like a four and a half meter sharks massive and it's cruising along and its tail's just flicking from side to side, but in slow motion. Like yeah. from each, it took like three seconds to do each push of its tail. Yeah. Um, and I'm like kicking my fins as hard as I can, going as fast as I can. And and this shark is just overtaking me like so fast, like going just cruising past. And I'm like videoing and then taking photos and then videoing. And, um, did you get any good ones? Yeah, I mean, I got heaps of photos of it, and I,
0: I got a video of it cruising away. Did you get any blood photos? <laughs> I'm sure there's some, <laughs> some right across the camera. Yeah, that yeah. is not a filter. That is real. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's genuine blood. So you said you worked in in where is it South Africa? Uh, in South Africa, yeah. Just
1: for um, I basically did like a work experience thing with a a guy called Andre Hartman. Okay, who, who was um, at the time. He was like a leading expert in great whites, yeah. And and as part of his work, he had a dive boat that he would take people out on to educate people. On sharks. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, so I worked on the boat and helped people in and out of the
0: cages, set up the cages, sorted out the charm mix for the sharks. And, and so before it. you could do all that, did they kind of put you into the cage as well to kind of get you familiarized on how to get at, in and out and all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We definitely, I definitely went in the cage
1: multiple times, multiple days. Like whenever no, no one was in the cage, I was in the cage because yeah. I was like, I want to see these sharks. I going to go see if someone dropped something. <laughs> yeah. um, Yeah, so that that was um, an amazing experience there, and 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 it was an eye opener for like, okay, sharks are amazing predators, yeah, but they're not actively trying to kill everything they see. You know, they they've they've got very set routines, um, and like Andre would free dive with the sharks without the cage, and he was one of the first, actually, the first person to do that, I think. And, um, and he would know each shark by identification markings on it. And he'd be like, okay, that shark there with the two scratch marks on his dorsal fin, he'll do two figure of eights. Once he's done two figure of eights, he'll come from the bottom up and try and get the bait. And, and that's every single time. Two figure of eights and then come up and look there. at it. And then another shark will do six loops and then swim straight in and get the bait. And it seemed, from what he was saying, that every shark had a set routine. And that meant that he could go in the water with them, look at the shark and then go, okay, that's two loops. He's going to do four more loops before he attacks something. So I can go and grab the dorsal fin and swim with the shark for a loop and know that he's not going to attack anything
0: or me. And, um, I mean, he, he did it for years and, and Um, you know how you were saying that the shark swim really fast when they were going in cruise control, pretty much. Yeah. I'm, cu- I'm curious to know how fast is fast. Like, if he was actually holding on, and they finished the sixth loop or whatever, and then they went for that attack, like, how, like...
1: Oh, I, I don't know how fast, but it would be fast. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, as a scuba diver, you can't... You can sort of swim at, like, walking pace, and then if you swim as fast as you can, you could probably go at, like, jogging pace, but only for, like a small because direction. you'd be knackered like it's so much drag and like you just can't um, whereas a shark in just general slowly swimming will be going at jogging to run pace just and like if they just kicked their tail they would just be like full it would be so fast so fast uh, I, I'd have to look it up to know the speeds but yeah yeah
0: oh I was, yeah not looking for a specific I was just like thinking about that because you're like when it goes by so slow like this I'm like man I've seen sharks that you know they're really tails waggling and, and going from what I I assume, actually. But uh, when, you, when you were there, did you, in, in South Africa, did you see any kind of like close calls? Um, just in terms of like the cage busting or, you know, the shark's out there. You just had to come out of the cage. Oh, there's a shark. Kind of like those kind of close calls. Not necessarily someone getting eaten. Yeah, not not really um, close calls. Like the sharks would often
1: bump the cages and, and try and bite the cages to see what it is. Do you know, like yeah. they obviously don't have hands so they use their mouth to like taste it because something different in the ocean floating around. It. Yeah. So they sometimes would bite it. Um, but we didn't really have anything on our boat that was like necessarily a close call but I heard lots of stories about different things. And um, one time there was a boat moored up next to us and... Um, they Had a young family, and there's a boy, he was must have been about six or seven. And he was going in the cage, and we were like, Oh, that's gonna be interesting for like a young kid. And yeah, he just super brave, you know, like had no, no reservations, fear. no fear. And this big shark came up and bit the cage, and then, and then swam off. And everyone was like, Oh my god, like is he okay? Like that would be scary. And he just pops up and he's like, I've got a shark tooth, and they were like, What the
0: hell? Like. How? How? Like, What
1: happened? And they were like asking him what happened, and he said, "Oh, like the shark bit the cage, and then I saw the tooth falling off, and it was just outside the cage, like falling down." And he just stuck his arm out of the cage and grabbed the tooth, and I was like, "Whoa, that's how are brave? You're super brave!" Like, <laughs> yeah. I
0: just put my arm right where the <laughs> shark bit <it> the cage. <laughs>
1: And, uh, but yeah, sure enough, like this little six-year-old kid had a tooth like the size of his hand. Like, oh, so, wow. So like, I mean, what a story for, for him.
0: I know. That's like one that, you know, you normally see people with necklaces with the shark tooth on it. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I actually caught this one. Like, yeah, yeah. Like what? You caught it at the souvenir shop or something like that? Like, yeah. no. Like, yeah. I went Pulled it out of the shark's mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. He wanted to eat, but I said, no, not today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you do anything uh, outside of um, <laughs> like scuba diving and stuff like that? um i mean i did heaps of sort of activities
1: growing up as a kid like, yeah um I, I played a lot of sport i i did scuba diving um i mean scuba diving was probably the thing that i did the most yeah um, I, I was super fortunate in that um the dive club that i was i learned to dive with um like we didn't have much money growing up and Mum paid for my first course like the ultra beginner junior one yeah um and then from that i started working for the dive club and so i'd work for them every wednesday evening and saturday all day yeah um and in exchange for that they would pay for my courses oh and i could do my open water then my advanced and then my rescue and then dive master and then eventually instructor Um, how long did
0: it take you to get to instructor
1: um i did from um 11, 12, I started my junior. yeah, And then by the time I was 16, I was dive control specialist, which is one after, one before instructor. yeah. Um, And then I did all my instructor training. I never actually took the course for instructor because once you take your instructor course uh, and you qualify, then you have to pay registration every year. Uh Because I didn't need it because I wasn't planning on teaching anybody. I never actually completed it. So I just did my dive control specialist, okay, which basically means you can dive solo with a camera. You don't have to have a buddy um whereas most scuba diving you have to have a buddy to yeah dive. um so yeah so i did all that and so i was done with that by the time i was sort of 16 17 yeah and then i came to australia and i had to redo a lot of them because the australian they don't mix they don't recognize i was ssi which is scuba schools international and Australia's PADI, paddy so they don't recognize
0: the difference so i had to do my dive masters which is the paddy equivalent did you, when you did the paddy, did you, was there any compare and contrast? I mean, obviously there's a bunch of compare, but was there any like contrast, like, you know, make sure you go left and then you're like, wait a minute, I know you got to go right. Yeah. You know, like, is there anything like that or was it pretty the same? Um,
1: I mean, on the whole, it's the same. I think the biggest difference for me was the club that I dove with in England was, extremely safety conscious and did everything properly and yeah. the padding course i did in australia was like let's just get everybody through it take their money and give them a card right um and i know that ssi is um not necessarily always super um well done like my club kind of was. Like cutting corners and things like that. <laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, Paddy's renowned for just getting people through and, and making money and giving them God certificates. You know. Whereas SSI is a bit more on the safety side of it, like let's teach people properly. Yeah. But it really depends what club you get. So you could get one SSI club who do it really well and one that just pump people through. Yeah, and you could yeah. get one Paddy club that pump people through and one that do it really well. So, so it so really all depends. It depends where you go and who you get. Yeah. Um. But yeah, my, my club in England, it was, you know, you would do Six months training in a swimming pool, yeah, and then you would go and complete your course in open water. And in Australia and Paddy, it was like first day. Let's go down the beach, get in the water, go diving. was like, whoa, we're
0: ready. <laughs>
1: yeah, and like, I, and like I've done a lot of diving, so I was fairly comfortable. But a lot of the people I was diving with like couldn't clear their masks, like didn't know how to set their gear up. I was like, okay, you
0: know. This is how you set your gear up, like do you understand that? And and yeah, I'm like, you're a dive master. Those those diving masks, those are kinda like I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a firefighter gear on. So you have to break it. Is that kind of the same thing or like you put it on? And you literally can't breathe until you really take a big like inhale, so you like yeah. and it, it breaks the seal. Yeah, is that okay. kind of the same or is it different? Um, it it it's similar. It's a demand valve, so it only lets air out when you breathe
1: in. Yeah. But it's not as extreme as that. Like if I just breathe normally, it'll it
0: will just go Just normal. Yeah. So it, it'll just click on as soon as um as soon as you breathe. Yeah, because I remember doing I did a maritime course to work on boats. And then we had to do this firefighter course. And, you know, I set it all up and I breathed in. And I did kind of what you just said to do then for just normal breathing. And it wouldn't break the seal. You have to really be like. And I was like. And I thought I was going to suffocate. So I took the mask off and I'm like, what is going on here? So then they're like, break it. So yeah, I was right. I was thinking I was like, man, I wonder if it's the same. Is that every breath you have to do that or just the first one? Ah, okay. You have to break that seal like it's really tight. Right. But once you really cuz like if you're really fighting for air, like if you're really fighting, you'll take that extreme inhale and then that's what breaks that seal. Okay. Uh that I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, But uh but yeah, so that that was kind of one of those things where I can see how people would be nervous on day 1 going to the beach trying to get all their gear together and just shaking at the hands okay, and things like okay. that mm-hmm. um when you guys went to train at the beach did you guys ever find like you know like jellyfish and all that kind of stuff close by or um I, we did our
1: training in bondi um so like you know down in sydney and um and it was cold water so there wasn't like heaps of jellyfish like you get more jellyfish up in yeah. north queensland yeah um so yeah we we didn't really see anything you, you the biggest concern down there was sharks, I suppose. But yeah, like you never, you never see. you you're, like
0: excited if you see a shark. Right? Yeah, right. It's not like a, you're waiting for that um, fin to just pop up out of the water. You're like, God, man, like, what's going on around here? Yeah. Did you stop diving as much once you got all your certificates in Australia? Um,
1: no, so I, like from age 12 to to 17 in England, I dove twice a week in the pool training, teaching people, learning, and then going to open water and doing that. And then when I came to Australia, got my certificates in Sydney. And then once I'd done that, I pretty much drove straight north and kept going all the way to Port Douglas Um, and I got a job up there. Doing taking underwater photos for the tourist boats, so of the tourists and selling them on the way home—that that sort of job. Yeah. Um, so I started that, and um, yeah, did that for about three and a half years. Um, and during that time, we would dive anywhere between three and four dives every day, five or six days a week. Oh wow! So I was diving a lot then. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was awesome. You know, like every you've done literally thousands of dives, and every single time you go in the water, you see something new yeah and it's like is there's no i don't know if, if there's any sport that is like that i doubt like, it
0: yeah like even the venue if it there's like a new
1: venue it's yeah. not going to be the same as your venue yeah and, and it's like you know we the dive boats we were working on had let's say 25 different dive sites yeah and we would probably dive the same 10 multiple times every week um just because they're better for weather or whatever yeah um, and even those dive sites you are like have dove this like literally hundreds of times but I saw a cool little bank that I've never seen yeah. before. I've seen a starfish or a shark or fish yeah. or whatever. Like
0: it's just interesting. It was it was cool. When you were diving all along the coast, even let's say in South Africa and England, everywhere you dove, where would be like your top two or top three locations that you found that was the biggest eye-openers to be, like, either something new, something that, you know, you've seen, everyone has seen, but, like, with your own eyes, it was even more glamorous. Like, what's your top couple of locations? Okay, yeah, that's a really
1: interesting question because if you had asked me that when I left England, as opposed to asking me that now, you'd get a very different response. So, in England, the water's obviously, like, cold, murky dark normally raining um and the majority of things that you see in england is like half a meter away from your face so like Achoo. you know you, you can just see your hand so if you're looking at something it's on the ocean floor it's a starfish it's a nudibranch it's something tiny on the floor yeah and um, so it's pretty rare that you get those beautiful days in england where it's crystal clear yeah although saying that where i lived in brighton there's a pier that goes out and it's got like fairground rides and stuff on it and like poker machines and like yeah. kids t- sort of games and we dove there once um and we went underwater and it was just an amazing day like 30 meters visibility the sun was shining oh, wow. and we went down under the pier and it, it's on big concrete posts yeah. and they were casting shadows along the sand Oh and really? It was just mad. It was like there wasn't even water there. It was like walking through a park, and we just went and collected all the tokens for the rides. They just slipped right out. They just dropped through the gaps on the pier, and, and then we'd go on the pier at the end of the day and, and play the games. And, and we'd have all these rusty old coins. Yeah. <laughs> they hated us, but that was that was a memorable dive, like a really yeah. fun one. And I, actually, on that dive, um, we were going along, and I saw this white thing and i went down and like moved the sand see what it was and then there was more white things and like it was like a white bar then another white bar another white bar and then it went down and i was like sort of scrambling it away and my buddy came over and was looking at it as well and then we realized that what it was it, it was a rib cage oh like a person's rib cage and and we were like panicking like breathing faster and faster like holy what have we just found like digging it away and um and then we suddenly realized, like when we got up towards the head, that it was um, from the ghost train ride on the pier. And they just uh. thrown it overboard. But we were like convinced that this it was like, real like, a real <laughs> body. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, but yeah, that was, so that was like memorable just because it was scary, but like in a different way. And
0: it ended up being, being fine. Um, <laughs> your heart rate is just racing the air bubbles are just flowing up <laughs> yeah, i should i should try and. i've got a log of
1: every single dive i i did from one to like 150 or something and yeah. like it would be in there
0: you know like i i found a body like, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like, it could be interesting to see what i wrote um, gave it to the museum see what they can find <laughs> yeah they're like this is plastic like, yeah. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Um, and then when you came over to Australia, like what, was, what would be your couple of great yeah, so memories we, or sites? Um, and yeah, so in between
1: England and Australia, I went to South Africa. Oh, yeah. I went through Borneo, Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, did a lot of diving, Egypt, the Red Sea, all through there. Um, and then obviously Australia and my number one um, out of all of them is definitely an island called Sipadan, Um How do you spell that? It's S-I-P. Um, I D A N.
0: Sipi Sip. Sipi Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, and it's um, um, in Borneo, in in Malaysia, and it's a little tiny island. It's about three hundred meters across. Yeah, from the island, and then it drops down from there. It drops down to about 600 meters and then there's a little shelf and then it drops down to like two and a half thousand meters and the island's only 300 meters wide so it's literally a pinnacle from the ocean floor up to this little tiny island and there's nothing for like 45 minutes drive around it Um, and so what that creates is zero to 40 meters tons of fish life because there's so much food like all that food from the cold water being pushed up is there, the fish eat the food, and then because there's all those fish, then there's bigger fish that are slightly deeper, and then there's sharks slightly deeper, and there's just, you've never seen so many fish in your whole life. Like, you right. jump in the water, and you can't see the coral, because there's- Fish everywhere. Millions of fish everywhere. Really? And then you, there's like a giant green sea turtle there, and then there's another one there, and then there's another one there, and like, wherever you look, there's eight turtles. There's millions of fish, and no matter where you swim, you're just swimming through fish that are moving out of the way because you're a predator, right? So they're just moving. And um, it's it's magic, absolute magic.
0: Really colourful?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all the corals are like reds, blues, greens. Like crazy, healthy, colourful. And then glass fish that are like only about uh, five, 10 centimetres long and millions of them. And they shimmer as they move and change. And it's, it's, Chaos, Like, it's crazy. Um, and, like, coming from England and going on those dives where you might see one fish in a dive and you can't see in front of your face, going to that is, like, mind-blowing. Because it's, it's just... This is
0: incredible. Did you... Well, for starters, how did you get to that point? Like, how did you even get to that island? Um, like, did you research it? Did you just happen to be in the right place at the right time? Uh, I... A mix, I suppose. I, am. Um,
1: Whilst I was at university, um, I was studying video production and I had to do a six-week placement in the industry. And because I wanted to do underwater photography, I researched all the underwater companies. um, And I found a company called Scuba Zoo. They were based out of Malaysia and I contacted hundreds of companies and these were one of the companies that got back to me. And I said, I need to do a six-week placement. Can you take me on for six weeks? Is there anything I can do? And they said, yeah, if you fly to Malaysia, we'll put you up in one of our houses, like you can live with us. yeah. Um, and you can basically just sit in the office and um, pour cups of tea, see how we edit the footage, um, look at the cameras, do whatever you want to do. And I was like, sweet, get a tick on my uni assignment. I get to work in an industry of underwater photography and they do like National Geographic and- Yeah, they're things. actually so, in where you want to be. Yeah, and it's, it, it's super interesting. Um, and I went there and the first day I, coffees and teas and talked to the staff and looked at how they edited
0: footage and was like, oh man, I've got to do this for six weeks. This is like, it's interesting. But like, like not this I'm cool. Like, oh, yeah. um, I'm just um, like, I'm sick and tired of coffee. I'm <laughs> sick and tired of tea. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I did that and,
1: and I was like, okay, this is what it's going to be. That's fine. Like I, I get tick on my uni assignment and I might learn something on the way. And on the second day I was there, they were teeing up to take the dive crew, the film crew, to a little island in Indonesia called Lamalera. Yeah. And they were gonna go and film the sperm whales being hunted by the locals. So the locals row a boat out, spear the yeah. sperm whale, and then row it back in. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's super interesting. Like, I'd, I'd love to see how you set up for that. Yeah. Um, and whilst they were setting up for it, they got a phone call and their safety diver, who essentially looked after the film crew in the water, um, yeah. had just caught dengue fever and couldn't, go on this trip and they were like frantically like okay we need a dive master who's qualified who's got their dive tickets and a passport and I was like me me yeah. <laughs> like I can do it I can do it and they were like really you've got your dive? you've got this you... I'm like yeah here it, is, here it is so they took all my stuff and um, it was like it was meant to be yeah literally <laughs> yeah. and um, I, it was the most amazing experience like we were in Kota Kinabalu in Malaysia and they were like hey we're going to this little tiny island in Indonesia which is or more or less just northwest of Australia, like off the tip of Australia. Yeah. And to get there, we had to go, we had to fly from Kinabalu to another smaller airport that I can't remember then we had to get a four-wheel drive from there to the edge of the island and then hire a private boat to get to the next island this is some like real
0: blood diamond kind of
1: transportation going on here genuinely like we had three private boat transfers three private four-wheel drive transfers and then we eventually ended up in this little tiny island in this village called lamalera yeah and there's lamalera a and lamalera b in there two villages, one of them catches fish, one of them grows vegetables, and they trade. And that's their entire existence. And, like, the kids there had never seen white people before. And, like, I was taking photos of them, showing them pictures, and these kids were like, oh, my God, like, that's, that's me. me. Like, yeah. You know, it was so cool for them. And, and I could, you know, I took a soccer ball and played soccer with them. And, like, yeah. it was it an was amazing um, time being there. Um, and, yeah, we spent, uh, we ended up spending seven weeks Pretty much living on the beach, um, like black volcanic sand beach. How was that?
0: Um, very interesting. Like, does it feel like kind of weird because you're used to like you know brown sand and kind of stuff like that, or is it just kind of normal? Yeah, you get used to it pretty quickly
1: because it's just it's just sand, but it's black, but it looks really cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and we lived with uh, a local family, like we kind of had a homestay where they looked after us and cooked for us and stuff while we're there and I don't know what the arrangement was but I'm assuming we paid them some amount of money to, to do that yeah um, and then we paid one of the boats they've like 10 of these rowing boats and we paid one of them so we could store our dive gear on it and if there was a whale we'll push the boat in and, and go and do it yeah and um, and so I was a safety diver um so we would go out and we would film like let's say stock footage, so they wanted to get a shot of the guy diving off the boat with the spear. So he would be in the water filming, and the guy would be jumping in. And my job was to look after the cameraman. So I basically go back to back with the cameraman, and essentially make sure that's behind them or stuff like that. Is that what the purpose is? Just make sure there's no um, so sharks. <laughs> there's um, he's not sinking down in the water at a, a too fast a rate or going up too fast, all those sorts of like safety things that he can't really focus on as a cameraman. Yeah, yeah. he's trying to get the best shot and not focus on his life. Yeah, pretty much. So you're kind of there just, just in case, make sure he's not getting run over by boats, make sure that there are no sharks coming. And, and I kind of laughed when they said about sharks and they were like, no, no, seriously, like if, if they catch a whale, they're gonna spear it. They, it's a bit grim, but they slit its throat. It bleeds out. And a whale's big, right? It's got a lot of blood in it. Um, when that happens, the sharks come. And at that point, the water's all going to be red. Divers going to be in the water. You need to be able to look out for sharks. And I'm like, okay, like,
0: cool. What do you want me to do if a shark comes? <laughs> like, <laughs> redirect it. Yeah. Put your hand one way and say, go right. <laughs> and um,
1: yeah, so I, I was like, I don't know. You know, like I can't control a shark, like what do you want me to do? And without hesitating, without laughing, without blinking, he picked up a stick off the ground and gave it to me, like a mean, a long stick. It's like, just use that. And I was like, okay, I, I'm the rookie, right? Are you just taking the mickey right now, or is this for real?
2: Yeah,
0: he's like, no, no, it's for real, chuck it in your dive bag. Like, <laughs> yeah, give him a couple of taps on the head, like, <laughs> didn't I say redirect? <laughs> Is that really what, what you do? Just kind of give them a whack? I uh, I to this day I don't know if they were taking you never it, had Mickey, it. I never had to use it, but I was in the water. <laughs> I had my stick. <laughs> and I was there. <laughs> um, There's like another film that's filming you. Like, look <laughs> at this idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was um, that was that trip. And um, when they got it, when they when when they got the shot and they slid the throat of the whale. Was it really, as they said, it was going to be like blood was just everywhere in the water or did it not really occur that as extreme as Yeah. So we were
1: unlucky or lucky, depending on which way you look at it, that we never actually got that footage. Like we never not caught sure. the whales. So the locals um, only hunt the whales during daylight hours and they literally have to They have a lookout on the hill. And they signal to say there's a whale then they row the boats out try and catch the whale or spear it and that's obviously relatively difficult to do so they probably only catch like one to ten whales a year and we're only there for seven weeks so it was like if it happens it happened. yeah and um there was a couple of alarms that went off where the whale was there but it was like 4 30 pm and they were like we're not trying we're not going because what happens is they catch the whale they kill it And then they've got to row back to shore and they can't see anything and it's just too dangerous yeah um so yeah it it just never happened um but we got heaps of stock footage of the guys jumping in and um and the boats rowing and all that stuff and i think they did go back another time and got the footage another time yeah and um if you if you wanted to you could look at bbc human planet series bbc yeah so it's the like the british um Stands for about the BBC Human Planet, like National Geographic Human Planet stuff. Okay. Um, and all the footage is on there. Yeah. So, like some of the shots that are filmed, I'm like on the back of the cameraman <laughs> within my stick,
0: yeah. <laughs> and the guy's diving in the water. Do you have any any like uh, photos or anything like that with your stick? Like you just like mucking around and like have your stick? Like you know how people like have like you know like gangsters have a gun and they're posing? Like you got your stick? Yeah. Like. <laughs> I, d- I don't think I've got
1: any photos of me with the stick. I've definitely got photos of me in the water. With the cameraman and, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I, don't, I don't have a photo of my stick. <laughs> I should have got one. Do you? Do you see like when you go to the to the water? Do you when you come across a stick? Do you kind of like reminisce sometimes? Like, oh, faithful, there you are again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I take <laughs> it out surfing with me just in case. Yeah. Like <laughs> like, uh, like Wilson and in, in, uh, Castaway with the volleyball. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like that or whatever you call the stick. Um, so. After you've done that, what made you? on, oh, for starters, do you still do you still dive and stuff um, like that? I I don't dive as much as I did. Um, when I'll, did that When did that
1: kind of start hitting in a decline? Um, when I was living in Port Douglas and, and working as an underwater cameraman, I did three and a half years of that and dove four or five times a day for three and a half years, and I was kind of over diving at Gosh, that point. Yeah. So I transferred to the lifeguard department. Um, so still working on the same boats, but just sitting on the roof, making sure the snorkelers were okay or the divers were okay. Um, And I did that for three and a half years and just Mm -hmm. dove for fun whenever I sort of wanted to. Um, And then then I started working on a maintenance vessel uh, with the same company, but we lived on the pontoon. Um, So when the tourists went home, we stayed at the pontoon and our job was to then clean the pontoon, like go diving and clean the windows and do general right. maintenance work yeah. so I did sort of maintenance work which was interesting because it's a different kind of diving mm-hmm. uh, I did that for a little while and then when I moved back to the sunny coast I kind of pretty much just stopped mm-hmm. diving I sold all my gear just, just stopped but, do, do you regret any of,
0: any of that? not
1: necessarily it. regret but like do you miss any of that? I certainly miss diving um, and working on the on the boats up there it was not something that I desperately want to do again but certainly something that I enjoyed doing and have great memories of Yeah, Um, like if someone
0: just randomly gifted you a whole diving gear and stuff like that, it would be like a great moment. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely... And like we were talking about Alex before,
1: he's just got his dive qualifications and um, I went diving with him just a couple, well, about six months ago at Majimba Island, Alderman Island. Yeah. Um, and that was great because it was like, oh, I haven't dove for like four years. This is awesome. You're now the rookie because you haven't done it in <laughs> so long. He's the bet. Yeah, that's right. He was teaching me.
0: Um, Do you find that even though you haven't done it in a while, you still kind of go over, you know, safety precautions and things like that with like, let's say for this, you could talk about Alex. Like when you go in there with them, like you're just like, oh man, just make sure that this is like that and that's like this. Or is it just one of those things where you just kind of know, like you just observe and oh yeah, they they know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I think um, the schooling I got in England through my dive club taught me how to do everything properly and safely. And it's so ingrained in me that I physically can't not do it. So like I set up my gear, I do my safety checks. Before I go in the water, I do my safety check with my buddy before we go in, so uh, that's just something that I can't, physically can't do without. I can't go diving without having done that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, their gear. If my gear fails, their yeah, gear is, is mine. And if their secondary or their spares not working, and I haven't checked it, that's my bad. And and the same for them. So it's one of those things that a lot of people don't do. Um, yeah. And it's at those times that you could get into trouble. So. Um, it makes sense yeah and and, and to be fair like like when Alex went out he was wanting to do that as well like he'd been taught to do that Um, and it was like trying to remember like there's so many acronyms and stuff that you can use to remember the safety checks and stuff Mm -hmm. and um, it's interesting someone who's you know at that level of qualification like a beginner diver but advanced um, and then them trying to be like okay what are the what's the words and not missing things or getting them wrong and you're like oh it's not quite that it's this one and, yeah um uh, yeah i've had a few times where someone's like yeah i can dive and like okay let's go diving and we go out and then be like okay let's go and i'm like well we haven't done a buddy check and they're like what's a buddy check and i'm like, it's like oh and then, no oh, <laughs> i like teach them from there but it's just it's one of those things where so many people dive and yeah. there's so many, you can go and learn in thailand indonesia and they're not quite the same quality of yeah teaching
0: um so yeah, it's a big deal though like when you're going 30 you meters point, under water, yeah it's uh, it is a big deal yeah because i the closest resemblance i have for that is i used to do household moving and if you can't lift the same like let's say we're lifting this table here if you're lifting it with your right arm i need to be lifting it with my left arm because we're facing like mirrors but if we are both holding with the same arm you're going to be twisting it one way i'm going to be twisting it the other way and when we hit corners and stuff like that, it's just going to tweak up your back. Mm. And it's just that little kind of thing that's like, this is a big deal. Yeah. Now you include 30 meters underwater or whatever, 30 feet underwater. It's like, this is a really big deal because if we tweak our back, quote unquote, underwater, <laughs> yeah. there's no coming back up.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you, can't, you can't just swim to the surface like fast because it's... It's dangerous, right? You can you mm-hmm. can have get the bends, you can get all sorts of different things. They so have to go slowly, but if you've got no air and no buddy, or your buddy's gear's not working, like you're in in some serious trouble.
0: Do they have like um like floaty devices on you, so like if things really get south, you just like kind to pull something and then just like floats up, like a life jacket kind of style? Yeah, you've got it's called a BCD, so a buoyancy compensation device. Mm-hmm. So the idea of
1: it is like as you go deeper your body becomes negatively buoyant and you start sinking. Um, and at the surface, you're positively buoyant. So at the surface, you have a weight belt, which helps you go down. And then once you're down, you don't want to be sinking all the time. So you have a BC, you can pump it full of air that lifts you up a little bit. Stabilizes you. Yeah, and then you're neutrally buoyant. So you can just cruise around like weightlessly. Yeah. Um, you would never want to use that to shoot yourself to the surface because that's when you can have major injuries because the air inside your body expands really quickly. So you've got little oxygen bubbles in your blood. And so as you go up, those oxygen bubbles get bigger. So the only way to get rid of them is as you're breathing, it goes through your body, it goes into your lungs, and then you breathe it out. And then you breathe in, then you breathe out. And as you breathe out, all the bubbles breathe out with you and get smaller. But if you go from, let's go crazy depths, like 100 meters to zero, it's like three atmospheres of pressure difference. So that means your lungs would be like three times the size. So if you held your breath and swam to the surface, your lungs would be three times the size they are normally. Oh, wow. And the little tiny bubbles in your blood would be three times the size they are normally, which means you get blood clots. You know, like if it blocks oh. the blood to your brain or your heart, oh. you know, you're gonna die or you're gonna get the bends or you're gonna get some sort of major um, injury, which sometimes can be fixed and sometimes can't. So. It, that's the safety aspect of diving, where it's like you can't just swim to the surface. You have yeah. to be able to solve it underwater, and swim up slowly.
0: Um, Interesting. And that—that's the danger aspect of diving. That's why it's an extreme sport. Yeah, because I—I—I I thought of that idea because I watched the movie. were in this movie, they were like the boat sinking. They're like in a submarine or whatever. You know what I mean? And the best way it is they get a life jacket and they, they like swim to the area where it's just out underneath the boat and then they pull the life jacket and shoot straight up mm. and then oh they just made it to the surface with just the last bit of air mm. and I just thought to myself I wonder if that, that actually can work yeah but then hearing the way yeah. the body works uh, I don't think that is the case yeah like if you're at a submarine
1: and it's sinking you can, you're going to die right there's there's no two ways about it so your best option is probably to shoot to the surface but you're not going to just pop up and be like oh I made it I'm okay like you're probably gonna pop up and you're gonna be in drama although with a submarine I'm not sure entirely how it works because I think the submarine actually creates the atmospheric pressure of the surface in the submarine so you might be okay you'd hold your breath and shoot out and the air would be the air would be the same size because the submarine is made at the same atmospheric pressure. Yeah. But when you're scuba diving, when you're at depth, the atmospheric pressure makes the air smaller. Got you. Um, so I don't know if you've ever, like, taken a balloon and swimming pool, pushed it down to the bottom and it gets smaller and then you let go and it goes back to the same size. So is this is a normal, like, with air or helium or? No, just th- a normal, just, if you blow up a balloon. With your air? With, with normal air and then swim it down It might not work quite in a swimming pool, but if you swam it down to 30 meters, that same balloon would be the size of a tennis ball. Really? So it would still be a balloon, it would just be that small. And then if you let go of it, it would go up to the surface. By the time it got to the surface, it would be the same size as it was at the start. Would it pop? No, it would be the exact same size. Really? Um, But if you took a balloon down to 30 meters, blew it up at the bottom to the size of a balloon and let go of it, when it got to the surface, it would be three times the size it was at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Or, Or it would burst so and that's the exact same thing with your lungs got kind of like, you that's that's life. a
0: good little explanation because then you can really create <laughs> to visualize that yeah, yeah. exactly yeah so hmm. that
1: that's um yeah
0: that's sort of don't quote me on the yeah, right. precise things hey but, man <laughs> trust me i learned a thing or two about science and uh, <laughs> this it. guy knows everything trust me <laughs> um is there any places that you've traveled like outside of scuba mm-hmm. diving and stuff like that that was Kind of like, okay, cool. Cause it sounds like you've been to a lot of places, maybe just those places. But have you, like, where else have you traveled? Um, I traveled through um, a big portion of
1: Europe. Um, yeah. Myself and my uni mates, when we finished uni, went through, we, I had a camper van and, and we all chipped in for fuel and drove around and, and did sort of a few countries in Europe, which was oh, nice. cool. Um, but yeah, other than that, South Africa,
0: Egypt, Malaysia, Indonesia, Australia, that's pretty much it. Is there anything on, on your horizon that you would want to visit? Like, um, I'd love to go down to Tasmania, yeah. Um, well, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about Tasmania. Like, what's the fascination with Tasmania for you personally? Um, scuba diving, <laughs> no, not so much diving down there, it's pretty cold, yeah.
2: Um,
1: I think, um, like, I, I ride my motorbike, like, I've got the, the BMW GS, yeah, um, and um. Tasmania is one of those places where like it's beautiful scenery, beautiful roads, twisty tight turning roads with loads of cool things to go and see like you've got you know really nice little airbnbs that you can stay out all over the place, you've got wineries, yeah. you've got um, really nice beaches, there's heaps of stuff to do and then there's like nice mountains to climb and then you've got the temperature difference where it's, it's actually cold you know like it can be snowing and, um, just something completely different to what we're used to here on the coast. Did you, used to, when you were in in Europe, you always got snow, right? Yeah, in the winter, quite often we would get snow. But yeah. being in England, it would be like. Um, you know, a couple of days of snow, and then oh. most of the time it's just slush. Oh, it's not. Don't you hate slush? Yeah, it's
0: not. Oh great. man! But when it snowed properly, it was. It was beautiful, it? you know. It's like yeah, you can actually do stuff with it. And then that one day or two days that it just melts, you're like, oh no! Yeah, and everything's wet and cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> um Out of all the places you have traveled, outside of you know your activity and stuff like that, for you personally, like what was your top place to visit when you were visiting? could be Um, here
1: probably Croatia um, was my favourite place because I was really surprised by the people that were there Um, there was all everyone that we met was super friendly super nice Mm -hmm. like um, a lot of them didn't even speak English or or very broken English and um, and they really tried to talk to us and, and help us out like you know our van broke down and some guy towed us to the garage and didn't speak a word of English but knew that we'd broken down and oh. they were really nice and then we stayed um, um, at a at a little campsite and we didn't have any money so we were there and we were like can we just work for you guys to pay for our camp fee and they were like yeah sweet like here's it, like just move all the seaweed off the beach dump out the top and just um yeah, it was just a really nice kind of community feel, and yeah, the beaches are beautiful. Do you know, like there's no waves; it's just dead calm, but like Clear unlimited out. visibility and yeah. beautiful boats sailing past. It's just a really cool place to
0: visit, and like yeah, crazy castles built in the cliffs, and yeah, <laughs> it was really cool. So, if you could have your ideal location to live, and maybe it's been a place you visited, maybe it's been a place you haven't visited before, just your ideal location you know you're well retired sport up is the biggest thing in the world you know what i mean (laughs) where where where? where, like and this doesn't even have to be a for sure answer this is just for fun you know what i mean like where where would you see an ideal place to live um honestly
1: where i am now yeah like the sunshine coast i've been to a lot of places and i've been to a lot of beaches and the sunshine coast has everything that i need it's got heat in the summer it's got beautiful beaches, it's got surf beaches, it's got dog friendly beaches, um, <laughs> I can go inland up on the hills in this beautiful countryside yeah. and mountains to climb. Um, the city's not far away but we're in like a smallish town that's relatively quiet. Yeah, it's, um, It sort of ticks a lot of boxes for me
0: um, and yeah, I, I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. Yeah, that was crazy. Is I literally thought the same thing. Someone asked me that question too. They're like, "Oh, would you ever want to come back to the to the states?" I'm like, "You know what? Not really. Like, though there are more options of things that you could buy or view or whatever over there, it's really like the place. Like everything that we have here, like where I was from in the states, there was no beaches. Mm-hmm. And it's like the beaches is, is the selling point. Yes. You know, you just come over a hill and then like you get the view of the ocean. You're like. Oh, yeah. This is what I'm talking about, especially even like climbing up the uh, majority of the mountains here too. Like, you know, as I refer to people over in the states, they're like, "That's not a mountain, that's a hill." It's like, well, where we live, it's a mountain. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, you can say whatever you want; it's the biggest thing here, yeah. and it's just one of those things where like it's a challenge to get up, and it's really nice, and it's not overpopulated right now. Yeah, Who knows yeah. what it's going to be like in ten years from now? Yeah, probably be the new new mm-hmm. Melbourne, but. Yeah, I kind of feel the same vibe as well. Um, So with all this this traveling nonsense talking about, what I want to talk to you now is about the food. So you've traveled a lot of places. Was the food different? Was it the same? Like, what did you find most unique about while you were traveling in terms of the food? Okay, yeah, that's... I, I can't talk much about Europe,
1: because we we're on a super, super budget, so we pretty much just ate pasta and food that we made in the back of the van, so yeah, that's yeah. That was kind of out, although there was one place in, um, I think it was Slovenia or Slovakia, Yeah, and they had this cake, and you could buy it anywhere, like it was like their local thing, and it... And it, the closest thing I've ever found is like a vanilla slice where it's like pastry, custody stuff and then pastry on top and like icing on top. Yeah. But it was like this specific way that they made it. And you could buy it at the petrol station, you could buy it at the cafe, you could buy it at the bakery. It was everywhere. Everywhere. And it was the nicest thing of ever. <laughs> <laughs> what was it
0: called again? I'm not sure. No idea. No,
1: I can't. I'd have to look it's it up. It's kind it, of like a slice. Yeah. It's the place where it was... Uh, Invented or almost like sold it was a place called Lake Bled, like B-L-E-D. Okay. And that's in either Slovenia or Slovakia. And it was, yeah, crazy. Like, so
0: tasty. Like, it so when you had it for the first time, what was it like? Was it like rainbows popping yeah, yeah. <laughs> in It was like eating chocolate for the first time. It was like, oh my God, this is delicious. Like, yeah. I just want to eat all of these. <laughs> and thankfully, they were sold everywhere so we could. <laughs> and then when you, to, when you went to South Africa, how was it... How was the food kind of there like was it just kind of the same um i think the south african food was fairly
1: similar to like english food although um the standout thing in south africa is the biltong, which is like beef jerky um, okay but it's a, w- a way that they dry it season it which makes it biltong, and um built on like Um, b-u-i-l-d b-i-l-l and then t-o-n-g oh okay um and yeah basically it's just a a beef jerky like a dried meat yeah and um and yeah that was something that everybody had it was you know always in their bag always on the boats always in the shops and it was really like really tasty yeah and um i've I've looked for it around on the coast for a while to find some because like beef jerky is like quite soft and like almost, like, moisture-filled, whereas yeah. biltong's really dry. dry. Um, and there's actually a place in um, Bokarina. There's, like, a little tiny corner store, and they have a sign saying, we sell mm. biltong. Oh, it's, really? And it's proper South
0: African-style biltong, so that's really cool. So when you say it's dry, it's not dry, like, crispy, right? It's, like, dry, like, thick, yeah, kind of dry? it's pretty thin. Like, it's like a slice of bacon
1: sort of thickness or a bit thicker, and it's, like, long, long, and you'd, like, you bite on it, and you'd have to, like, really wrap really it off it. Uh, and then you could chew it for like five minutes before <laughs> it would actually you, before you actually just softens. It. yeah um and, and i like that because like beef jerky i find you just chew it like two mm-hmm. or three times and then that's all done yeah so that's that's like an interesting thing that i sort of found from overseas
0: for food and... okay when you came over to australia was there a lot of seafood kind of mind frame here or did you just kind of Look beyond that and just continue to eat however you ate yeah I think there definitely is a lot more seafood here like people
1: obviously being on the coast they, they like a, their seafood um, I, I personally don't eat fish um, so <laughs>
0: you're like, like I don't eat it, I take
1: pictures yeah, of it. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure when I was young when I was like 11 I said that to my mom I was like I don't want to eat my fish finger sandwiches I want to swim with the fish not eat them it's just like my excuse to not have to eat no, fish yeah. finger um, but yeah so I, I haven't i you know i try fish like if we go out like spearfishing and catch a fish then i'll try it because we just caught it but uh, like i won't eat tuna or like yeah yeah you know, i try and avoid
0: eating any sort of corporately caught fish yeah. yeah but if it was something that was like an event or something like that and like you were invited and they all they said was fish and you're yeah. super hungry. you would you you wouldn't be like sorry guys i don't need this yeah just kinda, i'm not gonna
1: make a scene over it i'll, I'll eat it but i just try and avoid the sort of mass court, mass production kind of
0: food. Yeah, because you just know that how it's made. You know it's just simple. bad for the environment, so I just try and avoid it. But, yeah. Yeah. So with all that being said, now that you're here on the Sunshine Coast, stuff like that, this is almost kind of like a free shout out, no free shout outs, kind of kind of vibe. Where would you say your best places to eat are if you're gonna dine out? Not like maybe you have a lot of home food and all that kind of stuff, but like if you're actually gonna dine out with you know with Carol or whoever you know what I mean like where would you go mm. um or like what would be your top couple that you know oh, i like this one and that one's good but yeah um i don't go out that often to I eat. i figured so i just had this vibe it's like <laughs> <laughs> um we get
1: quite a lot of takeaway food um and like we go we'll get like thai or uh, vietnamese food um, mm. and uh, like Thai Lotus in um, what is is our preference like you know you always know what you're going to get it's always good food right. it's not sometimes you go places and it differs all the time like different Depends flavors on the club, yeah. yeah but it always seems to be the same there and it's always good quality so we, we go there a lot for Thai food and um, Cara mm. just went out to um, the I'm going to pronounce it wrong the Nguyen Brothers it's like NG Nguyen U Y E N or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I like, don't know how to pronounce either. I don't want to butcher it either. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> don't want to have two butchers
0: on here. <laughs> um, but they're
1: like a, a Vietnamese um, restaurant, and, and Cara went there. She went out there and had food and said it was amazing, and then we got takeaway and it was really good. So. Where's that at? Um, they've got one in Maruchidor and a new one in Batinia uh, okay. next to the hospital. Oh, okay. Um,
0: yeah, so that was cool because I hadn't really had Vietnamese food before, so that was, yeah. that was nice to try. Um, if you have takeaway, you know, like your your basic takeaway places, where where do you normally go? Um, to be honest, probably the Thai. We
1: we get Thai a lot all the time. Yeah, yeah. And like, um, I've got a soft spot for Betty's Burgers as well. Betty's yeah, Betty's Burgers are good. Just super simple. Just the normal burger, yeah, or do you kind of like do no, the fancy ones? Just the classic classic burger, and fries. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty. Pretty easily pleased. Yeah, <laughs> like a
0: a standard food. I'm not. Do you ever? If you have something that's overdone, like this, you know, like have you ever heard of Brits Garage? Yes. Yeah. Have you ever been there? Yeah. What you? What you? I've never been there. Okay. Um. This is what I was gonna to talk to you about in terms of like the comparison. Like you like the standard, and then you have something that I've only seen in photos that are just like whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Is that kind of you're like uh, too much for me? I, I would never order that special,
1: which is like the. 10 foot tall burger. <laughs> it's like massive. Um, I mean, some people love that and I love the challenge or the whatever of eating that, but I would
0: always, I can't, I just, I'm small. I can't eat that much food. <laughs> yeah, back. exactly. Um, that's like your, that's like your calorie intake for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would
1: struggle to eat that. Uh, but yeah, we've been there. We've had, um, we've had the burgers there. We often ride the bikes there cause it's like a bit of a biker. Stop-off place. Oh, okay. Uh, it's like a nice. It's in the middle of a nice ride. Yeah. Um, so you can go there and, and get a burger and a drink and
0: then just keep going.
1: It's a cool. Oh, sport. okay. It's really it's good. It's worth going.
0: Yeah. And then the last kind of well, not necessarily last, but the second to last thing, when you were around the world, was there anything interesting to eat? And I'll give you an example. When I was in Cambodia, they had fried tarantula. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, I was watching videos on it, and they were like, you know people, tourists, stuff like that, they're like, I'm not eating that. And they eat it, and they're like, oh, it's actually quite nice. Yeah, right. So, anyways, I had the opportunity to eat that, and I was like, oh, man, this is not gonna turn out right, but, like, I'm not gonna man out, I'm not gonna, you know, uh, scare out, whatever. I'm I'm going through this process, and I kind of hyped myself up, and I ate it, and it literally, you know Pringles? Yeah. It tastes like Pringle. Wow. The weirdest thing ever. But once you really chew into it, then it's like chicken. (laughs) It's the weirdest thing ever, but I was like, Oh, man, this thing's actually really good. Like, like really, really, like, we should have got more than just one. Wow. So, hey, did you ever encounter anything in um, terms of that kind of strangeness? Probably nothing, like, as
1: crazy as that. Um, in La Malera, in that, that village that we went to, the they would do longline fishing. Yeah. They would catch heaps of different random things um, from the ocean, and they would bring them in. They would catch, like, massive mm-hmm. marlins and... Um, dolphins and different things and like that's how they survive it yeah not something that i necessarily condone but like that's just their their way of life mm-hmm. um, and when they bring them in they just chop, chop, chop them up into like 30 or 40 kilo chunks and the women would just go and pick them up chuck them on their heads and then walk to their houses to like then prepare it or do whatever they do with it mm-hmm. normally dry it um, but we we bought a piece of the marlin and the guy that we were with was a chef and he would uh cut it down to sushimi and then serve it up and make a, a dipping bowl and stuff and literally it was still warm like it had only just Diffing. been cooked like yeah. 15 minutes before chopped it up and, and then ate it and when it was that fresh and that warm it like i hadn't really eaten fish at that stage and then to eat that was like mind-blowing because it was so tasty like really like it was insane like and it was it literally it was hot but not because it was cooked because it it was, just it was breathing. Yeah. It was crazy. So that that was pretty mad. And then I tried um some the dried sperm whale meat. Yeah, so they, when they catch the whales they have to dry it because they can't eat a whole whale in one sitting. Yeah. So they dry it out. And that was um
0: yeah, interesting. Very interesting. like uh, uh, interesting I like I wouldn't eat it again. <laughs> like it was it, it's, it's like good a, to check it off the bucket list. It's, it's a survival food, you know, it's salty, fishy. Yeah. Slimy, you know. Yeah, it's
1: like jerky, right? Cause it's dried, so it's like you chew on it, but then it goes slimy and salty, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, not not wasn't a big fan, especially because I hadn't really fish. So anything that was overly fishy tasting was yeah. A <laughs> that drink of tea. <laughs> yeah, and um, the the one when I went there because I knew it was a uh, a place where they hadn't got like Western food or anything. I took with me a can of baked beans and I was like if I'm starving I've got a can of baked beans with me that I can eat and we've been there we were there for seven weeks and four weeks in I was getting really hungry because the majority of the food they made was in a a vat and it was oil and they would just chuck rice in there to cook it and then they would take the rice out drain it and then just serve it so the rice was literally boiled in oil it was (laughs) pretty gross and like they cooked <laughs> all the fish in the oil as well. And cause they couldn't just throw the oil out, they just reused it. it. And so it was really like very fishy tasting everything. And so I was like trying to eat the rice, but it tasted like fish Oof. and it was not nice. And um, I finally broke and I was like, okay, I've got this can of baked beans. I'll just go and cook this and I'll I'll eat these beans and in their culture it's really disrespectful for a man to then cook the food so you have to give it to the the lady of the house (laughs) (laughs) and I was like can you please cook these and like their English was very minimal like can you cook these you can just like cook them in a pan put them in a bowl and and then you just eat them and I was like you can try some or whatever and um and she was like yeah yeah no worries like I'll take it and she took it away into the kitchen and then she brought it back out to me and the beans were like almost white. And I was like, what the hell happened to these? And what she'd done is put the baked beans in the oil, cooked it in the oil scoop them out, drain them, and then put them in the bowl. So instead of having the, like, tomato sauce, the baked beans are are normally cooked in. It was cooked in fishy oil. So I was, like, trying to eat these baked beans that just tasted like fish. and I was so devastated because
0: I was, like, I'm not going to get to eat something. And I I was, yeah, (laughs) very upset about that. um, Did you ever get used to it? Like, you know, obviously that long duration of eating oily foods that taste like fish. Did it ever come to your mind that's, like, Gosh, like this is all I'm going to be eating for a while. I might as well get used to it or did it constantly be like, "Oh, I just wish I could have that non-oily, fishy taste." Yeah, I think every mouthful was a struggle. Like, I was like, "I
1: have to eat this cuz otherwise I will literally like waste away to nothing." So it's like just get through like, let's do 10 mouthfuls of rice. Just get through it. Oh no. You know? And yeah, I I definitely lost
0: a fair bit of weight on that trip. <laughs> um but, uh, so you really don't you would, I would I would guess that you really don't eat much fish at all now because such bad well such experiences. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I I genuinely don't eat fish unless unless we've directly caught it on a boat trip that we're on and we're having a barbecue or something and cooking yeah. it. Yeah. I pretty much unless I've caught it,
0: I probably won't eat it. <laughs> it's pretty much my rule. <laughs> hey fair enough. Yeah. Um, now this is the last question that I had is use around food. What is your go to dessert? So, like, everything's good, and it can't be that slice <laughs> that we talked about earlier. <laughs> um, oh, go to dessert. That's, um, I, I'm a sweet tooth, so like, I, yeah. I, I love everything dessert wise, but like, you can only have this one dessert for the rest of your life. Damn, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's tough. Um, it can be basic, it can be customized, like some extreme, like what in the world were you thinking, kind of dessert? Um, uh, probably.
1: Um, I don't know if this is actually a thing, or just like something that I do. Um, but I get a glass, uh, like a smallish glass, but like wide. Yeah. And then I put um, cocoa Pops, um in the bottom like a layer i can already pops. see what's going All oh, you do this <laughs> <laughs> and then um i do like two scoops of nutella and then a layer of cocoa pops and then two scoops of nutella and then on top uh, a thing of ice cream yeah and then chuck it in the microwave for like 30 seconds so the ice cream would melt the ice cream melts a little bit but not much and the cocoa pops taste like they've literally just been cooked because they're like oh. like oh. and then the nutella melts slightly through the cocoa pop so when you put your spoon in the ice cream's melted yeah and it's like
0: all kind of together but then it's crunchy and it's cold and it's hot and it's amazing that's interesting i've never even thought of that kind of process before (laughs) i'm going to try it out though too and i'm gonna take a photo and be like is this what it turned out or it'd be like a whole like there's milk in there you're like what did you do
1: Yeah, that was a discovery at uni when I didn't have enough money
0: to buy chocolate, but I had cocoa pops and Nutella, and, Nutella. and, and that's what happened. <laughs> so with your ice cream, do you just have any kind of flavor, or is that the the randomizer? It can be any flavor at any time for you, or is it specific? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty plain, so I'd just go vanilla or like
1: a honeycomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really like chocolate ice cream. Yeah, which is surprising because I like chocolate.
0: But, yeah, I was just yeah. thinking that too. That's why I thought. I was like. You might want chocolate, but I was like, man, there's a lot of chocolate in there. Cocoa Puffs are normally chocolate and that build up, but is there a specific dessert location around here that you go to? Oh.
1: Um, there is, but I can't remember the name of it but um, Kara used to come to the coast a long time ago when she was little, and there was an ice cream shop and they make their own ice cream. Oh, okay. And you can order it and they'll deliver it to you. And it comes in a little tiny polystyrene one litre container with a polystyrene lid. Oh, that's cool. And they cool. just deliver it, and you can have like two or three different flavours in there, and it's like insanely good. But They're in Caloundra somewhere. Um, the Hunt. Yeah, I, you have to, I'll, I'll ask Cara and you can add it to the, into the comments into the details. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's well worth it. They do like
0: mango sorbets and then like really creamy mint ice creams. And yeah. Awesome. And you can always tell like the difference between that homemade kind of. Yeah, it's so, wrapped. so creamy and like thick. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's just like, you just start like, getting hungry all of a sudden. Yeah. Why are you drooling? It's like nothing, nothing. I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah so pretty much that's that um, for people to get in contact with you let's say you know just for the sport up concepts and things like that like how do, how do people get in contact with you yeah so um, sport up you can you can
1: sort of just google sport up um, or if you want to go straight to the website sport um, you can look online and see what's going on like what sports are available what nights and and then you can just book online Um, or if they want to shoot me an email or or call me all my details are on the website so you can just get in touch through there and and
0: hopefully we can find you a team or get playing and do you have any social media kind of platforms as well like what or, or sorry what are your main social media platforms that you guys normally go with yeah so like we're on facebook and instagram um so yeah you
1: look up sport up um sport up sunshine coast on there you'll you'll find us on there and Again, you can get in contact with us through there, or you can just have a look at some games. There's normally some videos
0: from, from recent games on there that you can check out. Is, is SportUp in Brisbane also, in that whole same concept of SportUp, like if they type in just SportUp, is it just best to type in Sunshine Coast as well? Yeah. Through you guys? I'd definitely add Sunshine Coast in just to get to us. Like, It's
1: pretty obvious once you go on the website whether you're at SportUp Brisbane or Sunshine Coast. But Yeah. Um, and there's links between the two. So if you end up at the wrong one, you can, you can click through to the other one. Oh, okay. Um, But yeah, um, if you just narrow it down, Google search, sport up sunshine. Yeah. Get straight to us.
0: Awesome. Well, shoot. Thank you very much for this interview. Um, much appreciated. And, uh, we'll see you around next time. Yeah. Perfect. Cheers man. See you soon. Bye Bye. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of living it fresh. You can find us on any platform that has podcasts. And if you would love to be a guest, please get in contact with me through any social media platform, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, it don't matter. LinkedIn, we have it all. So just search Pedro Ferenke, which is P-E-T-E-R-O space F-A-R-A-G-K-E. Or look up the word Fresh Life. Life is spelled L-Y-F-E. And we can love to get you on here. It doesn't matter how well known you are or you don't know nobody at all. We all have a story to tell and we would love to share your story with the world. So like I said again, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Living It Fresh. Catch you guys later.